Burning Books with Eric Beck-Rubin. Hello and welcome to episode 39 of the Burning Books podcast, where we discuss, celebrate, and explore great books, very good books, books in which there's something to appreciate or admire, as well as books that are the opposite of all those things. Today, Emmanuel Carrère's L'Adversaire, The Adversary. It's a non-fiction account of a series of sensational crimes that took place in the quiet Jura department of France, close to the Swiss border. The mellifluous prose was translated by Linda Coverdale, the book was published in 2000, and the cover photo of the author is frankly ridiculous. Looks like it was photo day at the high school. Jean-Claude Roman, the person of interest in the middle of this tale of sordid crime, is an honored and respected medical doctor, a leading researcher at the WHO headquarters just across the border in Geneva, Switzerland, and a man with friends in the upper echelon of the French medical and political establishment, including Bernard Kouchner of Médecins Sans Frontières and also of Excellent Hair. For nearly two decades, Roman has been in a stable marriage with his university sweetheart and first true love, and together they have raised two adored children. He is also a best friend to Luc l'Admiral, and as we begin to read the report of the fatal week, a week in which Jean-Claude's two children, wife and parents are killed, and Jean-Claude himself is stuck in a coma after he is rescued from his own burning house. As we begin to read about this week, we do so beside Luc L'Admiral, who is also in shock. Sure, Luc knew that Jean-Claude had a mistress in Paris, but that was by far the riskiest aspect of Jean-Claude's life. Stolid, unremarkable, these were the qualities that Luc associated with his friend, his friend who was too peripheral to be at the center of this story. It therefore comes as a shock to Luke that when Jean-Claude has woken up from the coma, the story he has given to police about a man dressed in black clothing entering his house doesn't stand up. Also, how can it be that not only was his immediate family murdered, but his parents too? And what to make of the fact that his mistress has resurfaced, claiming Jean-Claude had tried to strangle her this past weekend as well, in the woods outside Paris? Is it possible Jean-Claude has an enemy? Could he actually be a suspect? For Luc, these are just the initial questions, because it soon turns out Jean-Claude Roman, honored and respected medical doctor, leading researcher at the WHO, friends with the great and good of the République, is, in fact, not a doctor, not even a graduate of medical school, has never worked at the WHO, and is not known to Bernard Kushner or others. And that final peg on which Jean-Claude hung his hat, that he was a financial wizard, investing funds for his friends in Switzerland, it turns out that none of those accounts he kept for them had a cent in them. All were bare. And these are just the appetizers of the story. Enter Emmanuel Carrère. The first paragraph of L'Adversaire ties together author and suspect. As Jean-Claude Roman was killing his children, Emmanuel Carrère was taking his son to a parent-teacher interview. As Jean-Claude's case becomes a national sensation and spectacle, Emmanuel Carrère writes to the suspect in jail to see if the two can talk. A part of Carrère is looking for material. As the trial was beginning, Carrère was writing a novel whose outlines recalled Roman's story. 
Carrère also applies to the journal La Nouvelle Observateur for a credential to cover the trial. Carrère says to the reader that he wants to know what it is like to be Jean-Claude Romain, especially in those last days. But when it comes to addressing Romain himself, Carrère puts it a little differently. I have been haunted by the tragedy of which you were the agent and sole survivor. I would like to try to understand as much as possible of what happened. How much is Carrère sucking up to his subject, calling him a survivor? How much does he believe it? To the author's and story's credit, it's not made clear. Carrère says that this letter to Romain was one of the hardest things he ever wrote, but he doesn't say exactly why. Is it because he's writing to a person he knows to be a murderer, because he's playing to that murderer's sympathies, or is it something else? As the story goes on, the author's sense of Christian forgiveness, indeed Catholic forgiveness, is tested and does not emerge as elastic as it first seemed. And yet, ever the good author, Carrère maintains sympathy for his characters, which means letting others demonize Jean-Claude Romain. And no person does this better than Jean-Claude himself. Midway through the proceedings, a startling fact is revealed that dashes once and for all the possibility, clung to by his former friends, that Romain had meant to kill himself alongside his family. What emerges afterwards is the image of a person who has inexhaustible reserves of pity for himself, for his position, for his life. For Romain, it is as though these things, and his responses to them, that is, his murder spree, were foisted on him. He didn't really have a choice. Here is Carrère describing one of his first face-to-face -face meetings with Romain. Note the advanced development of Romain's self-involvement. He, for his part, was as little inclined to go over past events as he was passionately keen on scrutinizing their meaning. He mentioned no memories, made only distant and abstract allusions to the tragedy, none to those who had been its victims, but willingly went on at length about his own suffering, his impossible grief, and the psychoanalytic writings of Lacan, which he had begun reading in the hope of better understanding himself. He copied out for me excerpts of the psychiatrist's reports, which said, In this particular case, and at a certain archaic level of functioning, JCR was no longer able to distinguish very well between himself and his love objects. He was part of them, and they of him, in a cosmic system that was all-embracing, undifferentiated, and closed. At that level, there is no longer much difference between suicide and homicide. Not much difference between the two, and yet there's all the difference in the world. For one, it's clear Jean-Claude Romain never intended to commit suicide. He wanted to live. He wanted to get away with his crime. One sees the possibility that killing all these people around him was a way for Jean-Claude to kill himself, but only to kill himself in order to change into something different, in order to get another chance. Where it's interesting, at least for me, is in Carrère's observation, which follows the above passage, regarding Romain's way of interpreting reality, specifically the notion that the surfaces of things don't mean anything, and what's interesting is what's held beneath. In this frame of mind, everything in reality becomes a sign of something else. It's a remnant of anagogy, the medieval notion that all earthly elements were indications of something barely fathomable above. In any case, here's Carrère explaining it. 
I gathered that he was counting on me more than on the psychiatrists to explain his own story to him, and on me more than on the lawyers to explain it to the world. This responsibility frightened me, but after all, he hadn't come looking for me. I'd made the first move, and I felt I should accept the consequences. I gave our correspondence a fresh twist by asking, Are you a believer? What I mean is, do you believe in a higher power that understands and may perhaps be able to forgive what you yourself fail to comprehend in this tragedy? Reply, Yes, I believe I believe, and I don't think it's a convenient belief designed to give a meaning to my life and survival in some mystical redemption or to deny the terrifying possibility that we will not all meet again after death in eternal love. Many signs have appeared in the last three years to reinforce my conviction, but please understand my discretion on the subject. For Romain, one such sign was Carrère's appearance in his life. From Romain's point of view, this author had been sent, perhaps by a grander author, to write Romain's life, which was, in his mind, a story, possibly a parable, possibly an allegory, but certainly full of symbols. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you'll know I'm a sucker for Meta, the novel where the author is a character, where the novel hides another novel within it. Birdman, The Clouds of Sils Maria, these are two recent movies that have done meta well. For the first chunk of L'Adversaire, the agenda seemed to lean meta. There was that first paragraph that led to the author foregrounding himself in the story, discussing his concerns, thoughts, and feelings. There is a protagonist, Jean-Claude Romand, being not only a congenital liar or storyteller, depending on your point of view, but also someone who sees himself as a character in a novel the protagonist of his own story in a way that Luc L'Admiral thought was impossible. After that opening act, however, Emmanuel Carrère's part in the account fades. By the middle of the book, Carrère is more or less left behind as the reader becomes absorbed in Romain's story, and how there's a backstory to go with every brick that is removed from the facade of his life. The fact that he didn't finish medical school, the idea that he hobnobbed with bigwigs, the notion that he was a financial wizard, even his research work at the WHO. Every new piece of information is equipped with exposition and pathos, because it had to be a story to Jean-Claude Romain, a neatly turned piece of fiction, before he could tell it or sell it to others. All this is a way of saying there are opportunities in this storyline to get more meta, to twist more out of it. But as L'Adversaire goes on, it foregoes these opportunities and runs a more conventional path, and the meta-motifs thin out. Indeed, there are even times when the account threatens to become pulp, especially on those not infrequent occasions when the author describes the intentions behind Jean-Claude's actions, intentions that Carrère can't possibly verify. Having said that, and though it's true that by the end of the story, even the shadows of meta-possibility have faded, the close observation of the subject keeps this book intellectually stimulating. Romain is a character who provokes a great number of questions, and Carrère, by design, gives us few answers. This first dip into the world of Carrère had got me looking for more. He mentions his novel Class Trip in his discussion with the prisoner, 
And I had previously heard of another of Kachel's fiction-slash-nonfiction mashups, My Life as a Russian Novel. That verser also got me thinking laterally, for example, about The Journalist and the Murderer by Janet Malcolm, and, of course, In Cold Blood by Truman Capote, two books that are on my shelves but remain unread. Books that illuminate other books, however, these are always a good thing, and that's why in the end I quite appreciated L'Adversaire. Thank you for listening. One final note. Burning Books will be changing formats with the next episode, or rather, episodes. To this point, the choice of books has been more or less random, often following the suggestions of friends or a few trusted critics. From now on, we'll be doing seasons, collections of episodes on thematically related books. The first season will be To Trilogy or Not To Trilogy. As part of the new format, we'll be releasing a whole season of podcasts in a concentrated span of time. This will mean a more immediate burn, but also entails an extended recovery period between seasons, where we'll lather yogurt on the wound. So it won't be once every three weeks as it has been for a while, but something different. I will keep you updated. Burning Books is and remains part of the Litopia network of podcasts, and you can hear back episodes, subscribe, and reach me there via the email the show button, all by going to litopia.com, spelled the way it sounds, and following the link to Burning Books. I will also be posting updates and release news on Twitter, at Burning Books Pod. My thanks as always to Natalie Matheson for playing the part of Bernadette Books. Who is this weirdo? To Hakan Ozgan for the music. There are several ways to thank someone. So, let's start with the easiest. Teşekkürler. To Peter Cox, executive producer of the show. Why would I say vitamins? You not even legitimately, legitimately say vitamins. There's not an oh E. Oh my Why god, it's not vitamins at all. It's not vitamins. And as always, go Jays.